Hey, my name is Lauren Frieder, and my husband Drew and I are lead pastors at Lift Church. We are on the eastern shore of Maryland. We want to thank you so much for joining us today, and we are believing that you will get a lift of encouragement. Serve your kind here. And what kind is that? You know what you are. Well, lucky for you, I can serve myself. You know, to stop me, you'd have to look at me. Would you give me a drink? Huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say, if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I say. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? Whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <laughs> Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me, I don't trust in anyone. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. 
And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Jesus is counting on it. He's counting on us telling everybody. And um, I am so glad to uh, have you guys join with us in person. And also for everybody watching online, we welcome you. And uh, this is the final week. It's uh, week eight of an eight-part series we we're doing called The Chosen, where we were using... Um, video clips from the first season of the TV series, The Chosen, to um, help us help illustrate parts of the Bible. Most importantly, the Bible is not just so that you and I read it, it's so that the Bible also reads you. And so we need to let the Bible read our own heart, identify some things, uh, touch us and change us as it touched and changed many people who lived in biblical times. And that's what the living power of the Bible is. This, this word has life to it. When you open it, uh, every word, it doesn't return void. It, 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 it reads you. It comes alive in you. And even as you listen to it, as I speak it this morning, or if you turn on an audio Bible or anything like that, the Bible says that it has living waters and words in us, uh, words that speak life to us and refresh our souls, and that's why we need the Word. How many of y'all are appreciative for the Word of God? Let me hear you this morning. You know, one of the ways it reads me as I read this story is it reminds me a little bit of um, my days when it, it, at, at about 14 years old, I was a soccer player. Um, I was doing very well in soccer, had grown up my whole life playing soccer, um, uh, lettered my freshman year for a very large 5A high school, and, and then by my uh, sophomore year, I was starting in, in the center of the field and uh, having a pretty good season until I got hurt. And uh, I didn't like the way things went down with my coach. I felt like he didn't... Um, do right by me. Maybe it was my own immaturity. Maybe it was it was what I thought it was. But um, at the same time, I started getting into music, and and the more I played music, the more I, I found uh, friendships in it, and I really enjoyed. In fact, I've been playing music in bar rooms since I was 14 years old. What a great state of Louisiana, letting 14 year olds go in a club every Friday and Saturday night and uh, entertain a bunch of people to where they can't remember their own name. Uh, I could, I could, by the time I got into LSU, uh, in, in my college years, we, uh, my cousin and I started a brand new band that we thought was just going to be more of a college band, a college sound, but it ended up being something that um, uh, turned into a touring band where we were touring from Texas all the way to Georgia, even flown to uh, Indiana one time for a college, and um, we had a lot of uh, opportunities to play in front of a lot of crowds and a lot of people. Um, but as our notoriety grew, as our popularity grew, I knew uh, something inside of me that not everybody would have figured. I knew that I looked like I had it together. I knew I looked like I was on a trajectory that was good. But I knew inside of me that I was doing things that were not me. I, I, would, I was doing things... To impress others, I was doing things to win other people's uh, friendship. I was doing things to to win the dollar. I was doing things just to to grow in fame or notoriety. I was lost, though I looked like I had it all together. 
I was searching for validation. I was searching for fulfillment. I was searching for worth. I can remember that we would play to the largest crowd I've ever played to, and I'd be on a high. I'm talking about an emotional, psychological high. And then uh, after sleeping through that night, I'd wake up and I'd think, man, we got to do bigger or else I'm nothing. It was this pursuit of fulfillment, this pursuit of worth, this pursuit, pursuit of validation that makes me think I was a little bit more like the Samaritan woman than I'd like to admit. The Samaritan woman was lost, and I was lost too. I was uh, going from person to person seeking worth, going from place to place seeking validation. I was going place to place hoping that maybe this one will fix the last one, and I'd find fulfillment. Uh, maybe, maybe, um, maybe this one will cover for last one's mistake as she went from husband to husband to relationship to relationship, trying to make up for mistakes all throughout her past. And honestly, I think all of us can relate to the Samaritan woman. We're all like the Samaritan woman. If, if you don't feel like you're lost... <laughs> this woman, I mean, she was, she was husband hopping. She was relationship to relationship. Maybe your relationship to relationship or bottle to bottle or high to high. Like, I got to get my next high. I got to get my next one. And, and, and we go from that. that. That would be the experience of being lost like she was. If you're not lost, maybe you're low. This Samaritan woman was low on the social economic totem pole. She was Samaritan. Samaritan. Jews, which are God's people, loathe Samaritans. For Samaritans were as low as low could be. Samaritans were considered betrayers of the time. They were considered a subpar race or social um, uh, group of people. Why? Well, Samaria was in Israel. And in the book of Kings, God's people, after they said, give us a king, they split into two territories. There was an Israel territory, and there was a territory of Judah. Now, Israel's capital was Samaria, and Judah's capital was Jerusalem. Now, they were all people of God, but they had two different kings, even though they were trying to follow them. Well, Israel lost their salvation first, they fell away and they were overthrown by a foreign um, uh, system before them, the Assyrians. And when the Assyrians came in, guess where is the capital, the capital that they wanted to take over? Samaria. If you own the capital, you own the nation, right? And so the Assyrians come in and they take over Samaria and God had always said you are a set apart group of people. You shall stay separated. You shall stay pure. You shall marry Jewish boys and girls. You shall marry Jewish boys and girls so that no outside influence comes in. But when the, when the Assyrians have taken over the capital city, guess what starts to happen? <laughs> little Jewish boys start marrying little Samaritan girls. Little, little Jewish girls start marrying little Samaritan boys. Well, he's cute. Maybe I could get him saved. Right? I don't know if they use that language or not, but you know what I'm talking about. Like, the looks will make up for it, right? And, and they started creating this, this breed or, or, or group, of, a people group that wasn't pure this or pure that. It was mixed. So the Jewish people started going, Samaritans aren't even, they're half-breeds. They're not even 
worth our time or attention. For they clearly have violated the principles of God to stay apart. So this woman is Samaritan. She's at the bottom of the pecking order. She's the wrong color. She's the wrong class. She's from the wrong side of town. And yet Jesus, king of the Jews, is meeting with a Samaritan woman. Maybe you feel like the wrong color, wrong class, from the wrong side of town. She was lost, she was low, and oh, by the way, she was unlikely. <laughs> she was the most unlikely of candidates for Jesus to spend any amount of time talking to. Why? Well, first of all, she's female. <laughs> Not only is she Samaritan, but she's female. And in that time, that means uh, men, men had a superior position in that time. So that not only knocks her lower in the uh, 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 social economic class, but she's also a known sinful woman. <laughs> this, this, there's nothing pure or admirable about her. If you were to say, who would Jesus talk to, um, uh, you would vote her in as least likely to succeed. She's the last one Jesus would spend time with. And, and we all are one of those three, if not two or all three of those. We, we are people who are oftentimes low, lost, and unlikely. You can, you can begin to think that, man, I don't know why God would want me. I'm so low. The things I did last week, the things I did last week, the things I did last night, the things I did last school semester, I am low. Oh, and I might look like I got it all together, but I don't feel very good about myself. Or we might feel lost, like I'm just wandering. I'm trying to convince you that I got it going on, but I know better than you know that I am totally lost, and I am clearly the most unlikely of candidates, Paul the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, once said in the scriptures that I am the worst of all sinners. <laughs> Remember this, you can't lie when you write scripture. He was under the inspired uh, hand of God as he wrote down, I am the worst of all sinners. In other words, I cannot lie right now. I believe that I am the most unlikely, lowest of all people. And yet God used. God has a habit of using people who are low, lost, and unlikely. And that puts us all in good news today. Come on. You're in a good position today at home and in person that if you feel like one of those three, God has a habit of using people like that. Can I get an amen? Listen, people thought they knew her. This Samaritan woman. Oh, I know her. She's the one woman who husband hops. She's the woman who's not worth my attention. She's the woman I don't even want to be within six feet of, right? She is that woman. People thought they knew her. Jesus really knew her. Like, knew her, knew her. She learned what you and I probably already know. You already know this. She knew this, that you can't hide anything from you know, her, her early banter is just like, I can't believe a Jew would ask a Samaritan for some water. But not too long after that, she starts going into, I want some of this water. And he says, before you can have some of this water, go find your husband. Because I know what you aren't telling me. And I just want to tell you, listen, you can fool me as your pastor. You can fool our prayer team. You can fool your parents. You can fool your spouse. You can fool your friends, but you can't fool God. She learned what you and I already instinctively know, and that is he knows our thoughts. And you go, no, not my thoughts, too. 
Just judge me on my words, right? Because I filter my words. I make sure what I say comes out right, or at least I'm a little bit more guarded about my words, but not my thoughts. He knows my thoughts, too. For the Bible says in Psalm 139, 1 and 2, you have looked deep. Deep, say that word deep. You've looked deep into my heart, no, Lord. It's like standing naked in front of you. You know it all. There's things I don't want to admit. There's feelings I don't want to admit. And yet you know deep inside my heart, Lord, and you know all about me. From heaven, you discover my thoughts. It's like you've got this plug from heaven tapped into my brain. You know the worst of the worst of me. And I have good news for you today because even though Jesus knew her, he would still choose her. Oh, come on. He knew the vile thoughts in her head. He knew the experiences she had. He knew uh, who she slept with, when she was with another, and the living man that she was with at this point. And even though he knew her, he would still choose her. He wasn't going to keep her where she was. He was going to move her, but that didn't disqualify him from using her. Come on. God wants to use you today, and we so oftentimes disqualify ourselves, or we, like Moses, rattle off a list of reasons why I shouldn't be chosen. But even though she was low, lost, and unlikely, God called her chosen. Come on, I don't know what you keep calling yourself. I don't know what your friends keep calling yourself. I don't know what people around you keep calling yourself. I don't know what your boss calls you, but God calls you chosen. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you are chosen. The Bible says, all have been called, but few are chosen. What does that mean? That means all are invited to the family of God. It's only the people who accept the invitation and say, I'll show up. I'll go that direction. I'll enter that house. Those are the ones that are called chosen, which means you're all invited to be the chosen. Low, lost, and unlikely, you're invited. Acts 10 makes it so very clear. Peter is talking, and Peter says this, nothing, put this up, nothing could be plainer. It makes no difference who you are, Samaritan or Jew, male or female, who you are or where you're from, if you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door's wide open. The door's wide open. That means everyone, under the sound of my voice, has an open invitation from heaven that you don't have to stay stuck. You don't have to stay low. You don't have to stay lost. You don't have to deem yourself unlikely, for God has already chosen you this morning to hear this message today. It's not by accident. It's on purpose. Tell your neighbor, it's on purpose. Even though we're all Samaritans, Jesus came to meet with you this morning. Not accidental. Not, oh, I just fumbled here, or or, no, my my schedule just coincidentally opened up. No, I want to tell you, there is no accident with God. Somebody's been praying for you. God has has, uh, uh, moved your heart to check out his house today. Check out his word. Why? Because not by accident. He's invited you, and today you get to decide if I shall move from uh, uh, many are called to I'm chosen. Here's what. Um, happened, um, you know, most of us find statistics show that people come to church and people get closer to God most of the time from an invitation, 85% of the time from an invitation from somebody else. 
It's an invitation from somebody who loves you even though they know you, right? Oftentimes you get an invitation from someone who, uh, sometimes you get one of those invitations from somebody met me in the mall uh, or, or somebody saw me at Walmart or I saw this post online, and that's awesome. But it took an invitation, right? And oftentimes it takes a closer invitation from somebody who, you know me. You know I'm sinful. You know I'm not the right uh, I'm not the right type of person. You know that I miss the mark. And yet someone who loves you but looks beyond your sin. I think we should stop, think of them, and thank God for them right now. Who is the reason you came to church this morning? I think you should stop and thank God for them right now. God, I thank you. I thank you for the person who brought me to church. It was a big ask. And yet, look at all the difference you've made in my life people around me come on can we give that person a hand of praise actually more to God who called it and put put you on that person's heart because I would be lost low and unlikely without that person for the rest of my time with you this morning I want to convince you to become one of those people over and over I see that the miracles moved people to go and tell the world about Jesus go and tell your friends about Jesus John chapter 4 is the story of the Samaritan woman and shortly after Jesus says yes you've had five husbands and the man you live with is also not your husband but I am still offering you living water whenever she discovers he's the Messiah she goes off the disciples come back they were in town getting some food to eat when they get back they're like Jesus it's been a long time since you ate you need to eat something and Jesus says I have food say I have bread I have food that you don't know about and he says this in John chapter 4 he says he says uh, Jesus explained my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work pop quiz the answer is right in the text leave that scripture up there uh, 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 what fed Jesus? Doing the will of God and finishing that work, right? That's what, now, if you and I are called followers of Jesus, where do you think we get our bread from? Where do you think you find literal fulfillment in life? Nourishment. You're never going to find fulfillment bar hopping, band hopping, husband hopping, relationship hopping, job hopping dollar hopping you're only going to find find it by doing the will of god and that's when my my soul says i am fulfilled that's when the father says well done my good and faithful son or daughter come be with me in paradise come on tell your neighbor get that bread you gotta get that bread you gotta do the will of god finish what he told you it goes on to say look around you Look, look all around you. Vast fields are ripening all around us. I like to make it personal. Vast fields are ripening all around you, at your job place, at your house, in your cul-de-sac, at your school. Come on, at the ball field, look around you. The fields are ready for the harvest. I called up. A farmer, a well-known farmer, uh, his son goes here, and he's a farmer too. And I called him Mr. Gino, and I said, Mr. Gino, please help me out with the biblical text so I can have some understanding. I think 
if you miss the harvest season, bad things happen, right? What happens if you miss the harvest? And he said, well, first it will lose its quality, and eventually the whole harvest will spoil. He said, imagine tomatoes that you didn't harvest in the ripe season. They will lose their quality, and then eventually they will fall to the ground, and imagine them falling to pieces on the ground. That's what happens when you and I don't look around. Do the will of our Father and realize right now the fields are ripe to receive people into the kingdom of God. Jesus is sending us out into the world to go and tell a friend who's ripe for the harvest. They want to know more about Jesus and it takes you and I saying, God's put me to work. I'm going to go get that bread right now and I'm going to reach the ones God's called me to reach. I want to finish by saying this. Here's how I needed you to reach me. Back in 2002 is when I gave my life to the Lord. But early 2002, I was in a successful band, and there was a number of things going on. And many of you probably wouldn't approach to have approached me. You wouldn't have come to the clubs I was playing at. You wouldn't have drank the beverages I chose to drink. And you wouldn't have hung out with the people I hung out with. And so here are ways I needed you to reach me. Number one, don't judge me. Don't label me, don't stereotype me, don't put me in a category of I am subpar to your Christian class. (laughs) The moment I feel on a different level than you, I've turned my hearing off to you, right? Uh, The person who reached me didn't label me too far gone, (laughs) sinner, (laughs) drunk, sleeper, come on, like, like, uh, 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 um, it was, there were a lot of labels you could have put on me. And I think about this Samaritan woman. The moment someone walks up and goes, Samaritan, cancer culture, she's done. <laughs> Ain't no biblical uh, room in the Bible for her. She's a Samaritan. And she's a female. And she's sinful. You know how many men she's been with? There ain't no room for her in the Bible. There's no room for her in the church. There's no room for him. Do you know what he does on the weekends? Pastor. Sure. They say things similar to what they tell me. Pastor, do you know who you're hanging out with? They said to Jesus, do you know who you're sharing tables with? You know who you're taking pictures with? You know who's on your dream team? You know who's on? Come on, I don't care about that. Because Jesus didn't care about that. All are invited. And he called. And we're all on a different spiritual journey. Even if you say, I'm on no spiritual journey at all. You are spirit. There's spirit in you, and we're all on a different spiritual journey. And sure, we're at different stages. But the moment we label each other is the moment we lose lose credibility with them. You're (laughs) the holier than thee can kiss my knee, is what I thought. (laughs) Oh, you are holier than now? (laughs) I don't really have time for you. I don't want to hear what you're listening to or chill with you. Come on. The woman, she, it says in verse 9, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Why was she surprised? Because Samaria was like a ghetto to the Jews. You don't go there. <laughs> That's where the half-breeds are. 
That's where, that's where it's dangerous over there. They don't like us very much. But can I say something? Listen, be careful what you call a ghetto. It just might be the meadow that Jesus is making his next miracle from. All of the disciples said, I ain't going with you through Samaria. Jesus said, you can go get you some food. I'm going to hang you right here for a lesser than, an outcast, an outsider. And then it says, for Jews refuse. God, I feel like God is saying to us, they, Jews refused Samaritans, but who do you refuse? Who would you refuse to have at your dinner table? Who would you refuse to take a selfie with? Who would you refuse to be seen in public with? We got to be careful because the Jews were known for refusing Samaritans. And if we're not careful, we will miss the next miracle God's working on. Can I get an amen? Jesus was diverse. What about you and I? He loved diversity. He loved the rich. He loved the poor. He loved the men. He loved the women. He loved, he loved the black, the white, the yellow, the, the, everything in between. Come on, how do they say that? Jesus, black and white, Jesus in the sight. Come on, I need to spend more time in children's church. Jesus loved the children of the world. Okay, all right. Number two, number one, don't label me. Here's what I needed you, here's how I needed you to reach me. Number one, don't label me. Number two, don't assume that I don't want Jesus. Oh, it would have been easy to look at my habits and my lifestyle and say, he don't want you, God. Like if God put you, uh, if God put me on your heart, you would have said, like Ananias said, do you know who Paul of Tarsus is? Do you know who Saul is? That brother doesn't want to know you. In fact, they'll probably rip my head off if I go tell them about you. And yet Jesus sends Ananias to Saul's and he sends Jesus to a Samaritan woman and he sent a friend to reach me too. It takes you to, number one, don't label me, and number two, don't assume that I don't realize I need Jesus. I will act like I don't need Jesus, but I know that I am lost. I don't want to hear you tell me I'm lost. I need you to love me a little bit longer for me to realize as I watch you that you got a little bit more put together. Why? Because you follow the Savior and Creator of the world. I think I want to know Him too. Don't assume that I don't want Jesus. Come on. Uh, a few years back, I, I, I preach I preach every year um, to a lot of Christian high schools. Put that picture up there real quick as I'm running out of time. This is a bearded dragon, and uh, one of the breakout sessions, we were having to hold things. By the way, at this ses sec session, I held two snakes. Can you believe that after last week's message? Come on. Somebody give it up for this brother. I held two snakes. No one's giving it up for this brother. <laughs> Listen, my Amia comes running inside yesterday with Lauren. They should have videoed it because I look like a little girl. They brought in this baby snake, and they said, look what we found. I said, oh, come on now. Get that thing out of here. Do you know what those grow up to be? <laughs> I held a bearded dragon, and one thing I learned about a bearded dragon is it has spikes because it looks hard. It has very few defense mechanisms. One of them is the aesthetic that if you eat me, think about how that won't digest very well in your stomach. You're going to need an antacid. Come on. You're going to need something to help it get down. But when you hold the bearded dragon, you'll find out all of those spikes are soft. You know, that's how a lot of people are. 
They might show hard on the outside, but as you get a little bit closer and you start touching their life a little bit, you start realizing, I too am soft, and I too know I need Jesus. I just like to give out the appearance that I got it all together. Number three, don't dismiss my initial dismissal. I'm sorry. Please dismiss my initial dismissal. Look past my hard edges. Look past my smart comments. Like when I tell you <laughs> church music is this, church people are that, everyone's hypocritical, all about money. <laughs> Come on, look past my initial dismissal and walk with me a little bit further. This Samaritan woman didn't go, oh, you're the Messiah. I want the living water. She bantered with Jesus for a while. Aren't I lower than you? <laughs> How dare you spend time with me? Why don't you get your own water? Are you better than Jacob who built this well? Actually, yes, I am. Come on. <laughs> Come on. And it goes back and forth before she realizes I do want this living water. There's, an in, there's a need on the inside that's been thirsting for this type of thing. And it takes you looking past my initial dismissal. Come on. Walk past my initial spittle to walk with me a little bit further. I'll act like I know it, but I don't. Come on. I'll act like I don't care, but I do care. I'll act like I'm good. I'm good, but I know I'm not. Come on. I'll act like I love my life, but there's many things I won't tell you that I hate about myself. Come on. I'll, I'll, I'll say I know the way to heaven, but I secretly wonder if I got it wrong. I have some doubts inside of me. I'll tell you I have given up on God and the church, but there's a hope that's still alive in me. I want to hope again. I want to believe the best in humanity. I believe there's a higher power, but I don't understand how it all works. I want to. I want to. But I need you to dismiss my initial dismissal. Walk with me a little bit further. Let me throw a few punches. Let me spit a little bit. Let me act a little bit arrogant. Like I got it all figured out. It's just my outer shell looking like spikes, but I'm really soft and I really want God. Amen. This woman needed it. Keep walking with me. When I tell you I'm coming to church and I don't show up, keep telling me what God's done for you when I say I'm not listening, because I'm listening. <laughs> now, there's a difference between forcing it and being intentional. Most lost people don't like it when you force it. <laughs> you just force Jesus up in the middle of every single conversation. It comes across clunky and weird, and you might start getting avoided. But there is a big difference about being intentional. A fisherman throws out the hook. They intentionally put the bait out there, and they're looking for every opportunity to introduce Jesus Christ. I'm not forcing it, but I am fishing it. Hey, come on, fisherman. Tell me when you hook a really strong one, and it starts fighting you real good. Does any fisherman up in here go, this one's not worth it? Come on, Matt. Mad on electric, you fish, right? Have you ever hooked a big one before and said, this one's not worth it, let me cut the line? No, it's the hard ones that make you go, ooh, baby, 
Oh, we on for a ride right now. Come on. But I'm telling you, if I get you a little bit closer to the boat, whoo, whoo, come on. Uh, I'm going to reel you in. I'm going to let you go out. I don't want to break the line. I don't want to break the relationship. The fish is going out a little bit. Oh, but they're getting a little bit tired, and they need a little prayer. Reel them in a little bit closer. Oh, come on. This one's taking longer than I expected. I put a lot of prayer time into this one. But if I, if I just keep working this thing, if it gets inside the boat, this will be the highlight of my life, and it will be the highlight of yours too. No fisherman goes, this is tough. Let me just cut the line. That's when they said, now we're really fishing, boys. And guess what? God looked at you and me and he said, you will become fishers of men, fishers of people. So let's do this. John 4, 36. The harvesters are paid good wages. Come on. You're offered good wages. And the fruit they harvest is Read this next word with me. People. The fruit they harvest is, come on loud church, the fruit they harvest is brought to eternal life. We're not here at church trying to harvest good times. We're not here at church trying to harvest feel good moments. We're trying to harvest people. And God pays good wages when you get to heaven for people who get to heaven because you brought them. I want to brag real quick on just one of our dream teamers as we are launching. I told them I wanted to launch at a Regal Cinema, and our, our team, we agreed, we're going to launch in a Regal. Well, Mary, our worship director, worked right here at the Regal at that time. And so she started praying, God, put the Regal employees on my heart. And she started praying for Regal employees. Do you know who one of those Regal employees is that came? Name's McKenzie. I remember the day that McKenzie came to one of our launch meetings. Now because of one person praying for McKenzie, McKenzie is an evangelism queen. <laughs> it's like anybody she talks to, they're magnetic to her, and she, she has brought probably more than 35 people to church before by one person's prayer for one. We're not just going to make heaven 600 people bigger. We might make it, come on, multiply that by 35. We need to make hell smaller. We're here to make heaven bigger. One person prayed for one person. 35 people came to the Lord. One person prayed for me, and hundreds have come to the Lord because of it. One person reached out to Michael Todd, and thousands are coming because of it. One person reached out to Billy Graham, and millions have come to Jesus because of it. And just Jesus reached out to one Samaritan sinful woman, and an entire city came out to see all about this person. Come on. All I want you to do is just start praying for one. In fact, before you leave today, I'm challenging you to become a lifesaver. I know, it's gimmicky, Pastor Drew. <laughs> I get it. There are 14 candies in this thing. I want you to metaphorically, if it helps you, you can literally write one person's life on this pack of candy when you leave. And I want you to pray over this person every time you see this. If you choose to eat these, then here's your guarantee when you take one. I will pray for that same person every single time I take one of these. That's 14 prayers being lifted up. 14 prayers. And when you get to the last one, 
you say, after praying 14 prayers, God, open up the opportunity and give me the boldness to reach out to them. Don't do it through a, Don't just do it through a social media plug or a vague invitation. Do it like this. Hey, next week, I'm going to be at Lift Church at the 830 experience. I invite you to come sit with me and hang with me. Be somebody's lifesaver. The Bible says as I close, Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I will give you living water. Let's pray. God, I pray for the living water of God to flow over your people. So many of us in here are low, lost, and feel unlikely, and yet you call us chosen. That, Father, you would touch our minds and we would think differently. For you call us differently. We are chosen. And in Jesus' name, I pray for boldness as we begin to pray to become a lifesaver for someone else. Father, we, do, we don't do the saving of someone's life, but we do pray to the God who saves people's lives. The Holy Spirit who is everywhere present, who removes and blindfolds and shortcomings and stumbling blocks and draws people to you. Father, give us the courage to step out when the harvest is ripe and to reap your harvest of souls. And Father, for all the people in the room who feel lost, low, and unlikely, and want to begin a relationship with you today, I say, let the living water that you offer come alive in their soul. Come on, if you pray that, if you, if you say, I want to get right with God today, then pray this prayer as, a, 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 and repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Become my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of thinking little of myself. For you think a lot of myself. You died for me. How good you are, God. I want to live for you all my days. Come and live inside of me. I let you call the shots. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said...